So, Dale, I don't know how much you know about therapy, but it usually starts by you telling me a little something about yourself. I thought there'd be couches and Kleenex and shit. Look at me, Sam. It's not your fault. Do you want to talk about some of those feelings? I love you. Obviously, you don't know me. So how is this supposed to work? You sit, I sit, we talk. Hi, I'm Dr. Sam. And I'm Dr. Fran. Welcome to Freudian Scripts. The podcast where we put your favorite TV shows and movies on the hypothetical couch to take a deeper dive into the way psychology is portrayed. We analyze the way therapy looks in entertainment, discuss the way psychological diagnoses are portrayed, and break down other psychological themes seen on our screens. As a reminder, Freudian Scripts is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult with your mental health professional with any questions and seek care if needed. The content and clips in today's episode will contain explicit language and mature and adult themes. Hello there! We hope you have been loving our new mini sessions so far and enjoying them as much as we have. Yes. We will be returning to a typical session this week um, and are excited for today's session where we will be covering our first single episode of a show. And it happens to be all about therapy. I know this is hard. I'm only here to help you. I work for this rich family. They brought me into their home to take care of their son, so... Sounds like a lot to handle. They respect what I do. Your girlfriend's 15, and you are 18. And she's innocent. Now you want to talk about what? My dramatic emotional breakdown. In prison, you assaulted a guard. What's it been like for you since you got out? I am taking care of other people, but there's no one to take care of me. I know I'm not their friend. I'm their help. I'm a tool. Why do you stay? He matters to me. You made choices. I made a mistake. Everyone's guilty of something, but only some of us pay the price. All these people are looking to me to tell them what to do. I don't know what to tell them. I don't know what to tell myself. That's our time for today. For today's session, we are focusing on the new season of HBO's In Treatment, which began airing in May of 2021. In Treatment is an HBO series that initially premiered in 2008 and consisted of three seasons. In 2021, In Treatment returned for a fourth and separate season featuring Uzo Aduba as Dr. Brooke Taylor. In Treatment is set in LA and follows a trio of patients in session with Dr. Taylor as she helps her patient navigate modern concerns such as the pandemic. The series portrays therapy while also covering Dr. Taylor's personal life and some of her own difficulties and struggles. One of Dr. Taylor's patients is Eladio, played by Anthony Ramos. Eladio is a home health aide for a wealthy family son um, who is working with Dr. Taylor on various concerns of his own. We will break down the first episode today of In Treatment, which covers one of Eladio's early therapy sessions. And if you haven't watched the show yet, there won't be any major season spoilers. As we mentioned before, this will be the first time we're covering just one episode of an entire TV series. So you may decide after listening to today's session that you want to watch the rest of the show, or maybe you already have, and you're curious to hear what we have to say about the first episode. And we may bring some of the future episodes back for future sessions. 
Yeah, and I think it lends itself nicely to that because these are about 30-minute episodes, each in-treatment episode, and so there's a lot of content. We can really dive into the therapy and then the different characters or patients that are portrayed. So just as Dr. Fran mentioned, we might be able to bring back some of the other episodes or some, or even maybe follow back up on what's happening with Eladio in future sessions. So it should be really exciting, um, and I'm curious to kind of dive in and talk about this all-therapy episode. Yeah, it's definitely a unique type of TV show, movie, content in general. We don't just get to see like an entire therapy session or like a series of therapy sessions. So it's really cool to be able to cover on the podcast. Yes. And Dr. Fran and I were curious, like, do people really like this show? Is it interesting and entertaining to people that aren't involved in therapy in one way or another? Um, And it seems like when In Treatment initially premiered and was on uh, TV that it had a really strong quote-unquote cult following a lot of people that are really passionate about the show um, and there seems to be some buzz about the current season as well with you know very great uh, with great performances and so I'm really curious to see where it goes. So for a Eladio session that we will be covering today with Dr. Taylor, we see that they're meeting via telehealth, and we thought this was a super important topic to cover, and I'm actually surprised it hasn't come up True. at all yet in the podcast, uh, because as you all probably know, a lot of things have changed and moved online during this past year and a half, two years, uh, because of the pandemic, and so telehealth has become kind of a way of life for a lot of people, but it has been around for a lot longer than um, since the pandemic started. Yes, definitely. People were using telehealth for therapy and other medical services before the pandemic. When the pandemic occurred, um, a lot of services moved to mostly being telehealth, therapy included. And so Dr. Fran and I both have experience with conducting teletherapy. Um, And honestly, I'm still doing a large majority of my work with families, um, adolescents, and children via telehealth. Yeah, absolutely. So there are a lot of different words you might hear that describe telehealth. Um, So we've been kind of referring to telehealth or like telemedicine or maybe more like umbrella terms that we hear not only used in psychology or mental health field, but also in the medical field as well. So for years, actually, people have been using telemedicine or telehealth to do remote visits. I think Dr. Sam and I have both been in settings where we've maybe done um, virtual visits with physicians to reach families and like rural locations that maybe can't get to a specialist in like a very unique area of specialty for their child's medical care. So that has been around for a long time and I think is maybe was a little bit more common than this kind of teletherapy that we've seen recently. Yes, and I think that's a great point, Dr. Fran, because as you mentioned, oftentimes in children's hospitals especially, they can cover such a large area where families are really traveling for that specialized care. And so telehealth can make it easier and reduce some burdens or difficulties for being able to follow with specialists, which is really exciting. We're going to dive in a little bit more about some of the things that are positive or helpful related to telehealth and some of the things that maybe you might not think of or might be surprising related to it. Um, As Dr. Fran mentioned, there's also a lot of terms that we use. So when we're thinking about using telehealth specifically for mental health, there are some other terms that go along with that as well. So you might hear teletherapy, virtual therapy, remote therapy. I hear and use that one a lot. A lot of people will ask like, oh, is the session going to be remote or virtual? A lot of people refer to it that way. (laughs) Yeah, there's also telepsychology, telemental health. That's the one that's being used in the clinic that I'm working in. And then 
internet-based psychotherapy. And internet-based psychotherapy is one I had heard a lot more pre-pandemic. Um, and typically that might be what's described. Like if you're reading a journal article about the use of internet-based psychotherapy compared to in-person therapy. Um, so interestingly, like we mentioned, this isn't a brand new thing that was just developed during the pandemic to address the you know current situation, but has been going on for a long time. And it really wasn't until the pandemic and maybe it got as popularized, but there has been research pre-pandemic on this internet-based psychotherapy or teletherapy, looking at the effects of telehealth versus in-person. And they have shown really positive effects for in-person versus telehealth, which is really, really great. We kind of were forced to use it um, (laughs) during the pandemic, but the good news is that we found in pre- and post-pandemic research that it is just as effective. And as you know, Dr. Fran and I often like to present various types of treatments or treatment modalities that are out there and discuss in which ways they can be most helpful. So some of the research that Dr. Fran just mentioned that has looked at telehealth and being effective for working with individuals and different goals, they have found that for depressive symptoms, anxiety, adjustment disorder, as well as substance use disorders, eating disorders, and other mental health concerns in children and adolescents, that using telehealth has been shown to be effective or to be beneficial for the people that are using it. Um, And what's interesting, too, in the research is that oftentimes they can even distinguish versus if the telehealth is occurring, you know, video-based, so where you can see each other versus on the telephone. And I do believe there's a little bit more literature or research looking at um, or showing that the video sessions are effective. There's a little bit less research in just the kind of phone-to-phone contact, but some of that research has even shown that that can be helpful in certain instances as well um, for some families who it might be more difficult to have, you know, reliable internet or ways to connect with video. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason telehealth and there's this push to be doing this research, you know, even pre-pandemic, is that there are a lot of benefits to be able to increase access for people who maybe otherwise wouldn't be able to easily access the services. Yeah. Dr. Sam mentioned before, this is, has been common for a long time in the medical field because there might be a specialist in a certain area that maybe lives, you know, three to four or five hours away from a family's home. And so the same thing can be applied to telehealth. Um, you know, there's a huge portion of Americans who live in an area that doesn't have mental health professionals or maybe not people who specialize in this specific type of treatment or maybe aren't in their insurance coverage or aren't affordable. Um, and so having access to telehealth can really improve the ability for people to access those services. And as Dr. Fran and I have mentioned before, you know, of the Americans or people in the world who might have a mental illness or might have mental health concerns, we know that not many of them are receiving treatment or able to sometimes access treatment. And in fact, less than one quarter of the estimated 45 million American adults who have mental illness have also received treatment for that. So when we think about it in terms of that, it might appear and would hopefully be helpful in terms of using telemental health services to reduce those barriers and increase access for people that would benefit from it. Yeah, absolutely. And some other benefits we see with telehealth, one, um, the stigma associated with it. So sometimes people might be intimidated or might feel embarrassed about going into a psychologist's office or going into a specific type of specialty clinic like that. So being able to do it from the comfort of their own home can sometimes make that a little bit easier. We also oftentimes see that there's lower dropout rates. So people are more likely to continue coming to sessions when they're able to join from their home. They don't have to drive an hour and then find parking and pay for parking and come into the building and then drive an hour home, that people are more likely to keep it up when it's a little bit easier to access. 
Yes. I mean, imagine, and this is mostly anecdotal, but I think it matches along the lines with what we're talking about with families that we've worked with. I will often hear things like, well, you know, it's a lot easier to not have to take off a full or half day of school or work to attend the appointment because we can just kind of hop on and off. We're not having to deal with traffic. We're not having to pay potentially expensive parking rates. You know, it really can help a family in terms of time, um, cost, you know, which can definitely be a barrier for certain families, and also child care. If you have one child or adolescent that you're bringing for therapy, um, then you have to find a, you know, child care for your other children potentially, which can also be a financial strain or be difficult for some families. So this is really a way that can kind of make it a little bit easier for families that might have those um, potential barriers um, and make treatment more attractive and just more feasible. Yeah, absolutely. And not even for just for families, but also for adults, right? So we see with Eladio, and I've actually seen this happen for a lot of my clients that are adults as well. If you have a full-time work schedule, it makes it very difficult without taking sick leave or taking time off, to, like unpaid leave to yes. come into a therapy session. And what we see with Eladio is he seems to be using break times during his work day mm-hmm. or down times. And I've had clients join session from like the break room at work or go out into their car, an unmoving car, I will say, a non-moving vehicle yes. um, to get privacy and to do that because you you're able to just step away for an hour instead of stepping away for you know three to four hours to do that so I do we do see that for Eladio in particular because of the job that he has caring for this child with um, who's immunocompromised that the accessibility and the ability for just him to just join from work makes it a lot easier for him And that was one thing I thought was kind of interesting, like in the context, you know, in the show, they do talk about the pandemic. Um, I thought it was interesting that in the context of him working with an individual who is immunocompromised, like for the safety of the person that he's working with, he wasn't wanting, you know, to go into the practice or, you know, have to potentially threaten his own health and then the health of the family that he's working with. So I thought that was kind of an interesting way to look at it. It makes a lot of sense. And yeah, therapy can sometimes be once a week, once every other week. That's a lot of time to potentially have to take off of work, especially um, if you have a demanding job or depending on what kind of leave someone might have. Or the therapist hours that you're working with. If they True. also are working regular business hours, eight to five, yeah. and that's what your work <laughs> schedule is, that makes it really hard, yeah. which is why we get so many requests for evening hours. Yeah, very true. <laughs> um, <laughs> There are obviously challenges as well. So it's not all, you know, sunshine and rainbows in the telehealth world. There are things that can be challenging and can make things difficult. Obviously, we don't see this as much in the show, but just technological difficulties. Yes. Internet shutting down, people not really knowing how to use different platforms. Dr. Sam and I, I think between the two of us have used multiple (laughs) different platforms for connecting with clients and then things change and there's updates. So there's just like at baseline the challenges of doing dealing with the technology um, that might go along with with telehealth. For sure. I cannot even count how many times, like, you know, I've logged on to a virtual session and then I couldn't be seen or heard or I couldn't see or hear the person I was working with or it would freeze or other just kind of weird things that you might not expect that pop up. Um, there are also some interesting things related to using these platforms for therapy in terms of billing and insurance. And those really vary, you know, based on the type of insurance, based on the state. And with the pandemic, some of those things were changing and shifting rapidly. And so families were also trying to navigate like what was covered, could they do telehealth, you know, which was, I think, a Mm -hmm. challenge and just um, something kind of new in the context of everyone turning to virtual telehealth for their appointments. Um, Also, interestingly, I think privacy. So usually when you come to see a therapist or a psychologist, 
you can meet in the waiting room and then you come back to a very private room, you know, with the door closed, maybe even like a white noise machine, just like different protections in that way. Um, One of the things that often comes up with telehealth is that we are checking with people. Okay, so where are you? Is there anyone else around? Are you in a private space? Do you feel comfortable? Um, Because all of a sudden, who knows, someone might be out of the screen and then you hear a noise or something, you know. So I think privacy is an interesting thing because it can occur, like you mentioned, anywhere in a car, at people's place of work. Um, So ensuring that there is still privacy. And then, of course, when using electronic communications, there are different um, threats and risk related to privacy as well. So that's something that's always really important to address with people, letting them know those risks, too. Yeah, absolutely. And we see that a little bit depicted in the session with Eladio. So we know he's at his place of work. He's presumably on a break or maybe, you know, he's not supposed to be doing anything with um, the client that he's working with, but we see that he's a little bit distracted. He joins the session. He's running a little late. He's still trying to get stuff figured out. I feel like this is so typical of telehealth (laughs) sessions, Dr. Sam, (laughs) in our, in our situation of like joining, like, hold on, give me one second. Hey, when we thought... Can you give me two seconds? We just running a little behind over here. I just have to give Jeremy a seizure meds. Is that okay? Yes, of course. The time is yours. Okay, cool, cool. I have had clients join from the car and they're like, yes. I'm almost home. I'll be there in two minutes. I'm like, okay, call me back. I'm not going to talk to you while you're driving. Call me back when you're home in two minutes. We'll just start a little late. So I think that's very typical, or I have seen that very commonly in the telehealth session. We also see with Eladio that there's a point in the session where privacy becomes an issue for him. Mm -hmm. Um, So even though he presumably, he seems to be in a a private room, the door is closed, he still gets worried that potentially his employers and the family in the house might be able to overhear him. So he turns the TV on very loudly. So like Dr. Sam mentioned, oftentimes we might try to problem solve that ahead of time. So joining the session, like, is there, or do you feel comfortable talking? Can people hear you? Mm -hmm. Um, We might've recommended that he turn that TV on earlier, or maybe if he had access to headphones so that, you know, they might be able to hear his voice, but not ours. So there are a lot of different ways to try to problem solve the privacy piece, because it can be really challenging, especially if you're not in a large, luxurious house, like a Eladio seems to be. Very true. And a lot of people, you know, they come to therapy to discuss things that might be more private or they're maybe not as comfortable sharing with everyone. And when you are in a shared space, you know, I've had a lot of kids, parents, teenagers who will express concerns about, you know, being um, overheard or, you know, people hearing or kind of knowing what's going on in a way that they're not really comfortable with. I think also a thing that comes up and that we see with Eladio is being distracted. Um, So, you know, when you're on the computer screen, you might be visiting other websites, getting text messages, talking to other people, and Eladio is trying to juggle his job. So he is getting text messages from, you know, his employer having to, I think at one point he's like, oh yeah, I forgot to turn on the jacuzzi tab or something. Like, you know, all these different things that he's having to juggle which I think sometimes when you're in a one-on-one session with a person in the room, it's a little bit easier to tune out and ignore versus like Mm -hmm. if you're still in your environment, you're continuing to kind of juggle or manage all of those distractions that are going on. Yeah, there's something about being in the same room with someone that makes it feel a lot more rude to pick up your phone and start (laughs) texting, but something about being over the virtual setting, it just feels a little bit less, I guess it feels more okay to do that. So people I have found do that a lot more often. I do think the one thing that would have put like the icing on the cake for this to be like a typical teletherapy session is if like a dog or a cat yeah. had, like walked by the screen. Yes. Oh my gosh, definitely. We haven't seen any pets. I have met a lot of pets. Which I will say is actually one of the cool things about teletherapy. And again, I largely work with um, children, adolescents. 
it does allow them to kind of bring you more into their world. And a lot of times they're really proud and excited to introduce you to their pets or show you their artwork or show you their room. Um, and it can kind of give you a sense of their life outside of the therapy room, which is really interesting, I think, in a way. Um, and I also think it's uh, can be different based on the individual. Some people really enjoy and thrive, you know, doing telehealth. They're okay with doing virtual health. Um, but I've also met with individuals that are just like, you know, this isn't working for me. I really want to meet with someone in person. I like the one-on-one connection or, you know, being able to see social cues, body cues, things related to that. Um, so we've talked about some of the pros, some of the cons, and really it always kind of differs based on the person. Yeah, absolutely. Luckily, this seems to be working for Eladio so yeah. far, or at least that's his preferred method for now. And so let's dive a little bit more into, like, we know the format that they're doing therapy, but let's talk a little bit more about the type of therapy and the relationship that Eladio and Dr. Taylor seem to have developed. Um, I'm looking at Dr. Sam's face right now because we have (laughs) been talking briefly about just, like, this is an interesting relationship. So we'll get into some highlights here. Um, We'll give a brief term here, what we often refer to as the therapeutic relationship or alliance. Mm -hmm. And this is exactly what it sounds like. It is the connection or the relationship between a therapist and the client. And that we know, we've talked about a lot on the podcast, is super important. We want to have a supportive and open therapeutic relationship or else therapy isn't going to work as well. Research time and time again has showed that the therapeutic relationship and alliance is key to making progress. And it makes sense if you think about it, right? Even outside of the research, the more comfortable you are to share, the more comfortable you are with receiving recommendations or practicing the things that you're talking about in therapy, I think the more likely you are to benefit from that. Um, So it's a very key piece. And I think that that's going to be a big bulk of what we talk about today, you know, after telehealth, just because that's what we're really seeing, I think, in this first session with Eladio. We're starting to get a sense of what Dr. Taylor and what Eladio's relationship looks like. Uh, Dr. Fran already used the term interesting, which I agree with. Um, And maybe to start off, we came across a really cool clip that actually kind of has um, the actors who are discussing the impressions of the relationship between their characters, so between Dr. Taylor and Eladio. So let's give that a listen. When I read these words, I was like, yo, I feel this too. Eladio's so in tune with his emotions that is almost infectious. He's this 20-something kid, so brilliant, so sensitive. He's got his whole life ahead of him, and he's stuck. Eladio takes care of a guy named Jeremy, and because he's immunocompromised, Eladio has to do all of his sessions on Zoom. He's dealing with rejections he felt as a child. He's looking for connection. He's looking for love. He and Brooke are playing out in their sessions this mother-son dynamic um, in certain ways. You feel like her to me. I know you're not my mom, but you just do things a mom should do. I think she is so good at what she does, she begins to peel back the layers, and it even shocks him how open he is becoming with her. Are you going to take care of me? So in that clip, we can kind of hear that we hear some clips from the show while they're talking about each other. We hear the actors talking about the characters. Um, There are some interesting dynamics going on there. So as we dive into this, we want to start off by just introducing two new concepts that really seem relevant. We want to kind of keep in mind as we discuss this relationship. The first one is called transference. And what transference really refers to is when someone is expressing feelings towards the therapist that really appear to be based on their own past feelings about someone else. 
Um, and I think that this one will really ring true. We'll really kind of get into that one <laughs> as we go on. And this might be a term that some of our listeners have heard before. It oftentimes gets, you know, clumped together with like Freud or yes. like psychoanalysis, psychodynamic. It was a term that was used in the time of Freud and, and often described and used in that way. It's not a term that Dr. Sam and I necessarily use often when we describe our clients, but some, some therapists do. The other term we want to introduce is kind of a flip of transference is counter-transference. And this is when it was referring more to the therapist's reactions to a patient or a client. So this might be their emotional responses to their feelings, or it might be even them having past feelings come out related to the client. So really we see like everyone's human and emotions and feelings come out both ways. So these are just two terms that we might use to describe when a client is having certain feelings towards a therapist and then kind of the reverse of the therapist also having those feelings projected onto the client. Yes, so kind of keep those in mind. Think about if you maybe hear some of those occurring as we talk about Eladio and Dr. Taylor. And so when we're first introduced to Eladio, he is actually calling Dr. Taylor late at night. We see him kind of pacing by a pool. Um, Dr. Taylor appears to kind of be getting ready for bed. I actually think let's go ahead and just give that conversation or a piece of that conversation a listen to really set the stage. <laughs> Hello? Sorry, I know it's late. Are you okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. It's a fucking dream, y'all. Like, it's winter and I'm in a field holding hands with a, a little girl. It's supposed to be my sister or something. It starts to snow. I'm excited, so I catch some on my tongue. All of a sudden, my throat, it's on fire. It's ash. A wing from a plane falls to the ground next to us. I turn and my sister's face, it's gone. Jesus, mommy, I don't want to tell you the rest of it. It's only going to make you worry. If I worry, I worry. You don't need to protect me from my feelings. Am I allowed to worry about you? What do you mean? I mean, I expect you to answer so late. I have no other explanation for being awake other than the agonies. The mad midnight moments. Grief observed. C.S. Lewis. Or... N.W. Clerk, if you really want to get all technical about it. <laughs> Yo, dude was an Anglo-Anglican problem, to say the least. <laughs> but he did write some meaningful shit on loss. You cry? I can't, I can't picture you crying. I'm the same way. Remember that girl I told you I dated? Mm -hmm. She had this mode she could switch into that I fucking, I don't know, lack. We get into a fight... And it was like a dam bursting open. She was just soft. Like, it looked so free. Like, she fucking went someplace. One time she said, L, you ever consider that maybe you're just a cold person? But I'm not a cold person. <laughs> no, honey. You're not. Far from it. I told her, I said, look, when, when you cry, when you become a fucking river, that's how I feel. <laughs> I want to point to it because that's, that's how I feel, but I just don't know how to get there. I never have. And, you know, I'm... And... Hey, sh shit, sorry, I gotta go. No, wait, real quick. Do some deep breathing before you go to bed. Uh, in for four, hold for seven, out for eight. Yeah, no, gracias, mamita, you're the best. 
So I'm going to be honest. I knew that Eladio and Dr. Taylor had a patient-therapist relationship, but I was a little confused as to what was happening here. Yes. The way that they interact seems very friendly, like almost like you'd be calling your friend or like your partner late at night and kind of like distressed about things. And then you kind of realize like partway through the conversation or even like later when you see them in therapy together, they're like, this is his therapist that he's calling in the middle of the night. Yes, that's very true. We went in knowing, right, that he is the client, that he's like going to be working with Dr. Taylor. But if you just kind of heard that scene it doesn't really sound like potentially like a therapist talking to their client and also like as we're discussing this we know that therapists operate in different ways so there are therapists that will give their personal contact information to clients to patients to contact them sometimes it's based on the type of therapy they're doing sometimes it is for emergency purposes um i will say that um in the settings that i usually work in that is not the norm people are not giving out their personal contact information um and that you kind of discuss with your clients or patients other ways that they can address emergency situations. It appears, as we see, that Dr. Taylor has given a lot has given Eladio her phone number for these purposes and he has used it. And right away though we see that it's it doesn't appear to be an emergency. It's more that he has had an unpleasant or a bad dream and then is kind of sharing his feelings and dreams with Dr. Taylor, which I I do find to be odd that they kind of continue with this conversation given the hour, given the non emergency nature of the call. Well and I think the reason we have those oftentimes therapists have those boundaries or those limits is because we can't always be accessed at all times. And we want clients to be able to develop the skills to be able to handle this on their own Mm -hmm. um, and not have to reach out to the therapist every time that they need to talk about a dream or to vent about something or to manage something. Obviously, if it's an emergency situation and that's been set up that you can access your therapist for that, that's kind of the purposes. Or like Dr. Sam mentioned, there might be certain types of therapy where it is appropriate to call the therapist and be like, hey, I need help coping with this skill. But usually it's pretty brief. It's goal oriented. And the goal is to get the client off the phone to be able to manage the distress on their own and then be able to discuss this more in the therapy session that has already been pre-scheduled. That's not really what we see here. No, it definitely seems much more of a friend, like two friends on the phone talking to each other. Um, it's like very philosophical. Like yes. it's pretty deep, kind of going off on different philosoph- you know, philosophical themes. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And then another part of it that I thought was interesting, and, you know, Dr. Fran and I have mentioned this before, but the concept of self-disclosure. So that's usually a term that refers to when, like, psychologists or therapists do reveal information about themselves to, you know, normalize something that's being talked about or to relate to the client When this skill is practiced, it is always in the best interest of the client that you're really kind of stopping and thinking like, is sharing this going to help, you know, um, continue with positive rapport or help the client or patient in whatever goals that we're working towards? Again, I will say that in this instance, when Dr. Taylor is sharing, I don't necessarily get the sense that it is for Eladio's benefit. I feel like it was definitely more for her benefit. He's talking about you know, grief and feeling sad and having this really, you know, sad, distressing dream. And then she's starting to really relate to that. She becomes tearful and starts to share in a kind of vague way about her own grief, right? Um, But just didn't really seem like the goal or context of that was to assist Eladio in any way. Again, just kind of more like two friends talking late at night and they're both having a difficult time. Yeah, absolutely. And we get that sense that they are kind of friends. And there are some other things that kind of hint at that. She calls him honey. Yes. Um, they're, yeah, they're just kind of like these back and forth. Like it seems like a very casual relationship. 
Mm-hmm. And he at one point even mentions, like, he asks her, are you crying? Like, you sound upset. Um, he expresses worry for her. And then Dr. Taylor kind of says, like, well, you know, don't worry about me. I, like, don't try to protect my feelings. I'm here, like, more concerned about your feelings. Um, but again, kind of showing these, like, blurred lines that we're talking about. The one thing that she does at the end is she gives him some deep breathing to try to fall <laughs> asleep. And yes. while it is a technique that we would often recommend yes. or practice or talk about in therapy, the way that it's done in this scene is just a little bit like it falls flat. It's like, oh, by the way, just try some deep breathing. That'll help you fall asleep. And she kind of gives him the quick like in for four, you know, that part's like somewhat accurate, but it doesn't seem like it's really going to be that useful. It's almost like I just want to throw a a quick skill at you so that you can maybe try to fall asleep. But we we probably all know it's not going to work. I agree. And I, la- I I don't want people to take my laughter for not being a proponent of deep breathing. I am a big fan, a big proponent. I find deep breathing to be a very effective and useful tool for many people. But when you said it fell flat, that's exactly how I felt. It's like, oh, we're going to kind of just put psychology in these really simple terms. And we had this conversation. And now let me make sure I just throw a skill out there that people are aware of, you know, to help with your sleep troubles. And even though we just like discussed all these other things. So, I, you know, and we'll definitely come back to that when we talk a little bit more about some of Eladio's goals and sleep trouble. Freudian scriptures, beware, you know, I love sleep. And that obvi- that that is one of Eladio's main issues. So, <laughs> I also sleep, but I like doing it, not studying it. <laughs> Everyone likes that. (laughs) So early on, we, like we said, we see that Eladio and Dr. Taylor seem to have a good therapeutic alliance. Mm -hmm. And I say, you know, they're close. They have a rapport. They seem to be getting along. They connect over lyrics and authors on the phone. Mm -hmm. And we see that a few other times in their session that seems to happen the next day. So we'll kind of spend the bulk of the rest of today's session talking about that session. Um, We also see, just like a kind of side note, something that I liked that Dr. Taylor does in terms of the relationship. At the end of the session, we see that she actually goes and looks up a book that Eladio referred to and she buys it so that she can read up on it. And I think that's a really nice touch that therapists can use, you know, time permitting, right? Um, Especially when you have like child clients or families or even adults that you're working with and they're sharing something that's important. Maybe they're using it as a metaphor or they're using it as a way to connect. And by being able to kind of take that and look up, do it a little bit of research, learn a bit more about it, it helps develop that connection a little bit more. I agree with that. I think, and if you can't read the whole book, for example, or watch the whole movie, at least looking it up and becoming familiar with it, what's it about so you can converse about it or get a sense of why it might be important to the person that you're working with. I know that I have done that as well myself, like listen to songs that people are into or, you know, looked up books or things that they're really interested in. Um, and I always have found it to be helpful and it is a nice way to just kind of stay in touch with your, your patients or clients. So even though we see this nice, strong therapeutic alliance developing, as Dr. Sam and I said, it's interesting. So there are just a few boundary questions going on that we wanted to draw some attention to. And we see this not only come out in this first phone call, but then also in the therapy session, especially when Dr. Taylor tries to address what happened with the phone call. Yes. So initially, Dr. Taylor, she kind of starts apologizing, saying that she is sorry for having answered the phone. Eladio, I need to apologize to you. I shouldn't have answered the phone last night. And this leads to a conversation between her and Eladio. You know, she's kind of saying... In the future, you can call me off hours in an emergency, but let's just keep it to that, all right? And Eladio actually becomes very taken aback by this. Yeah, don't do that. And he he even, I think he uses the language like, don't slap my knuckles here. Don't do what? Slap me on the knuckles or whatever. You told me to call you if I needed you and I did. You're right. 
I apologize again. Like, don't punish me is what he's saying. He says, you know, don't punish me for having called you. You said I could call if I needed you, and I did need you. Um, and that kind of leads to a conversation about, like, well, what is something else he could have done, um, which which leads to them talking a bit about his mother, actually. Yeah, and I think Dr. Taylor tries to handle this in an appropriate way. So she apologizes. So instead of blaming the client of, like, why did you call me? You shouldn't have yeah. done that. It's very much like, I'm taking responsibility. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have answered. As your therapist, it's on me to delineate the boundaries that are appropriate. And I will be better at that in the future. Or I'm sorry I didn't make it clear that these are the boundaries that we should have, that you should only call me after hours if it's an emergency. And if, if I answer and it's not an emergency, then we'll wrap up our phone call. Mm-hmm. So I think she recognizes that there are more ways she could have kind of set those expectations with him to make it a little bit less confusing for him. And so his reaction then, though, is to actually feel blamed or to yes. feel like he's done something wrong or she's mad at him, which is unfortunate because we see a little bit of what we would call like a therapeutic or an alliance rupture. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just a fancy term we use to describe like any moment or period in therapy where there's like a strain or maybe a little bit of a breakdown in that alliance. And I think it's here actually where he says, just give me a referral then. You know, I think I might just need a referral. So he gets like so upset in this moment by him feeling like maybe she's rejecting him or that he's done something wrong. She's punishing him that he's like, I don't even want to work with you. Is like his immediate gut reaction to that. And as Eladio and Dr. Taylor talk more, we do see that a theme of abandonment or a fear of rejection does come up for Eladio, in particular in the context of his relationship with his mom, having lost other family members, having lost individuals that he has worked with in the context of his job. Um, So, you know, it could be that he's taking this as like, you know, her stepping back and maybe leading to that abandonment or rejection, Mm -hmm. right? At first he thought, here's someone that I can call and talk to like anytime when I'm struggling. Now I'm hearing like, don't call me. Maybe I've done something wrong. She's upset. I'm just going to abandon shit before she maybe leaves me or rejects me in that way. Um, Which, you know, obviously it's just a hypothesis but it's something that I feel like comes up again and again in the context of their conversation and then like you mentioned Dr. Fran his his kind of reaction is also just like shutting down like okay we're not gonna really talk about this anymore I just want a referral to see a psychiatrist and kind of um, get the sense that he wants to move on yeah absolutely and you mentioned earlier Dr. Sam the relationship with his mom and um, we kind of see like, again, if you have your little like spy notebook or your spidey, (laughs) your therapy senses are tingling, this kind of term we referred to earlier, there's a little bit of transference going here potentially. So he wanted to call his mom, but actually he called Dr. Taylor. No, I'm glad you did. In that moment, another life, I call my mom. And that's kind of our first hint that he's feeling potentially projecting some of his feelings that he's had about his mother or that relationship onto the therapist, which again is not an uncommon thing. It's also very important to be able to address that and kind of talk through what type of relationship is appropriate in that context. Interestingly, Dr. Fran, he also refers to Dr. Taylor several times as mamita. So, you know, it could be a cultural thing kind of showing that closeness, but also, you know, like a nickname kind of like for a mother figure. And then the other thing you mentioned, Dr. Sam, was potentially using defenses to like shut down. And again, we learned through this session and then it sounds like through future sessions that there is this history of like rejection or abandonment and there might be a way of trying to protect himself by shutting Dr. Taylor down before he might get shut down. We also see Dr. Taylor try attempt, at least, at pointing this out to him a little bit later in the session. Sounds like you're talking about abandonment. I don't know if it's all that. Why do you do that? What? You shut down at the mere mention of the size of your burden. I mean, worse things happen to better people. 
Yes, which I will say is a tactic that therapists and psychologists do use. I have done it myself where I see maybe a reaction um, and I may be trying to get the person to notice it themselves or to address it themselves. I will say that I thought, and I, I don't know if you agree with this, Dr. Fran, but I did think that Dr. Taylor's way of addressing this was a little more... Um, uh, aggressive in nature than I would have done it only because I think she kind of asked like why are you shutting down um, and just my personal preference oftentimes I find that when we use why in questions it can come across a little bit accusatory and then that makes people get a bit defensive because if it's a why question that means like you have the answer right and you can explain um, and that kind of puts the onus on you so oftentimes I might try to address that as oh I kind of noticed that this is something you're not comfortable talking about or you know kind of pointing it out that way and and then asking for more details, maybe trying to avoid the why. And we do see here that Eladio becomes very defensive. And I don't think that that was Dr. Taylor's intent. She wasn't trying to blame him. She wasn't trying um, to make him uh, maybe perceive or interpret it that way. But I do feel like that's what happened. And oftentimes I'll avoid asking questions that way just in case. Yeah, absolutely. I like the way that you phrase that of maybe as a more like non-judgmental observation and then yes. kind of having the client you know, give their impressions of that, like, oh, like maybe they did or didn't notice that. Or you might, you might say something like, what do you think's going on there? Or yeah. um, why do you think that could be happening? I feel like there are other ways mm -hmm. to ask that question in a way that maybe doesn't come off as judgmental. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's one qualm we kind of had with some of Dr. Taylor's approaches. It's not intentional. It doesn't seem no. to be intentional, but it accidentally comes off as judgmental or accusatory a few times throughout the session. And Eladio picks up on that and responds to that. Exactly. And we hear him even say to Dr. Taylor, like, well, you know, you're one to talk because last night when we were on the phone, you, you know, they were quoting a poet about grief. And he even brought up like, you know, then he asks her about it and she shut down and he says to her, like, well, when we mentioned grief, you just went silent. You do the same thing. Last night you mentioned grief and then you went like silent. I lost my father recently. Shit. I'm sorry. So he's kind of pushing back and saying, like, I'm not the only one who has shut down. Like, I, we were chatting, we were getting to know each other, and you shut down as well. Um, and in this moment, Dr. Taylor does use that as another opportunity to further self-disclose. And so she does let him know that she has been having her own grief um, as she recently lost her father and something that she has been having difficulty with. Yeah. And as Dr. Sam mentioned earlier, there is appropriate use of self-disclosure. And there's probably a lot of situations where disclosing the loss of a loved one would be really appropriate, especially if you're working with a client who maybe has been through that experience recently, or, you know, especially like, again, we're human. There might be times where like, I need to take off work because I've had a death in the family. And I might disclose that to my clients so they know why I've been out or, you know, why maybe I'm acting differently this week or, you know, different things like that. So there's ways we do self-disclosure in the therapeutic relationship. And then it just comes up naturally. I I think the tricky thing about this is it almost seems like the reason she's self-disclosing is to try to explain her behavior on the phone last night, not because yes. she's trying to help Eladio, but because she's trying to explain why she was crying on the phone last night, which mm -hmm. again, it's not like a golden rule. Like you can't ever cry with a client, but in that situation, it didn't seem like it was uh, helpful for the client in the, on the phone for her to start crying. It was her own personal reaction. She was having to what was being discussed and he picked up on that and he wanted to understand what was going on with her and he's directing attention away from himself and back onto her. 
He did. And I I think that's a great way to describe it. And I'm kind of curious, you know, instead of self-disclosing in that moment, right, the main concept or topic that they're talking about is kind of shutting down or using kind of that defense. Um, How else might you have addressed that then? You know, like if he kind of pushes back at you, like, well, you know, you went silent. You're you also shut down when things get tough. Like, how could you potentially have addressed that with Eladio? I mean, he may not have liked it, but I think we oftentimes in therapy might put it back on the client because that's what they're here for, right? It's not my therapy session. It's the client's therapy session. So someone could say something like, you know, I noticed when I mentioned that you were shutting down that you actually tried to divert attention away from yourself and and back onto me. I'm wondering what's going on there. So kind of, again, trying to do that like non-judgmental observation. I agree with that. And even kind of using self-disclosure in a different way, maybe even saying like, you know, Eladio, um, you're right. You might have noticed that sometimes I shut down and other people might shut down when things are getting difficult. Um, I just noticed that you were shutting down, like what might be difficult at this time that was kind of leading for you to feel that might be helpful, you know, so kind of like acknowledging what he's saying, but then kind of directing it back to like help him understand like why others might shut down, why he might shut down. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a few parts of the scene where there are different ways that the session could have gone depending on how Dr. Yeah. Taylor responded. And this was one of them. And it again, it's interesting because you learn, I think this is their second session together, which is yeah. really surprising to me that they've had <laughs> this level of connection and he's willing to be like this direct with her about her own things that she's going through. And they, yeah, they seem to like have the relationship that they, maybe they've been working together for a while or they've known each other for a long time. And I don't know if that's just because this is a TV show and they want it to look like Probably. it's, you know, they're making progress faster or they have that relationship faster, or maybe it's just a product of their personalities and the, you know, therapeutic relationship and environment that Dr. Taylor has set up, but they seem to have gotten like very comfortable with each other very quickly to be able to say things like this to each other. I don't know about you, but my second sessions do not typically look like that. You know, we've talked about a lot of times in the beginning, it's not glamorous. Like the first session is a full history, just asking questions about like family history, school history, employment history, all, you know, getting kind of the background details. We're not going to learn everything about a person in like a one to two hour first session. Of course not. And then the second session is more kind of like, okay, like what are the goals and like still kind of getting to know each other in that way. So I did find it to be very surprising. Um, that they were so close so fast. And also that there were a lot of things I felt like um, Dr. Taylor didn't know about Eladio or that they hadn't discussed that I would have anticipated you would talk about sooner rather, you know, than later. So um, again, I think it's partly because it is a TV show and that piece of it to make it more interesting and, you know, to kind of show like, okay, this is the relationship and then where is it going to go from there? So I do get it in that sense. Yeah. And generally we do see that the session is very unstructured and that is a therapeutic style, right? Dr. Sam and I are used to doing a lot more structured (laughs) sessions, but there are obviously therapists out there that are pretty unstructured and kind of go where the client wants to take it. It really kind of depends. We'll come back to this in a little bit, but Eladio does seem to want a little bit more structure and a little bit more goal-oriented approach to addressing the insomnia that he's coming in for. So we can talk a little bit more about that shortly, but we do see that maybe Eladio is wanting something a little bit different than what Dr. Taylor is giving him in this session. Yeah, potentially. And so I think we will get a little bit more into Eladio, the sleep difficulties, things that might be helpful that we didn't see really him and Dr. Taylor work on thus far. Um, But, you know, after kind of that rupture with the whole, you know, shutting down, they have their discussion. um, The session does progress and we'll talk about some of the pieces that are more, um, I think, 
um, pertinent to Eladio. So like the diagnosis that he's had, some of his 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 history, his difficulties with sleep. But then we kind of get to the end of the session where they're really kind of talking about like their relationship, right? So between Eladio and Dr. Taylor. And actually, let's like listen to kind of how this session closes up. Hey, you okay, Al? I am right here with you, right here. I'm going to help it be okay. Are you going to take care of me? Of course. That's what I'm here to... Uh, I mean, really. I know I said all that shit about wishing I could talk to my mom last night, but I called you. You, you feel like her to me. Not in real life or anything. You know, I know you're not my mom, but you... You just do things a mom should do. Pay attention. I talk to you. I feel like I matter. So maybe can I be what this is between us? You know, therapy, but also, like, I don't know. It's going to sound ridiculous. Family. This is a challenging scene, I think, for a lot of reasons. We really, I I mean, Dr. Sam and I, as we're watching this clip together, are both, like, really feeling... For Eladio, like he's very, he's a very sympathetic character. You feel really, you know, um, empathetic towards what has happened to him and him just really wanting to have someone that's going to kind of feel like they're taking care of him and they're nurturing and they're listening and paying attention to him. And he's getting some of that from Dr. Taylor. And we're definitely seeing some of the transference coming up for him in this situation. He addresses too. He says, I know you're not my mom, right? right. So I, I do like that he has insight. Like, he's able to really, like, express his feelings, talk about things. He's able to also realize, like, this is an important relationship for me because you're giving me things that I maybe didn't get from other maternal figures, right? Like, you're paying attention to me. You're making me feel valued. You're supporting me. Um, And I know that you're not my mom, but could this be that kind of relationship? Like, is that what therapy is? Is it going to be more like a family-type relationship? And you're right, Dr. Fran. I really am feeling for Eladio in this scene because you see that he – you know, he is really desiring that support, that assistance. Um, I like how Dr. Taylor says, like, I'm here. I'm here for you. I'm going to support you. Um, I know we both, we might have differing opinions on the beginning of the scene because at one point she does say, like, I am going to fix this for you. I kind of cringe at that because I, my goal for Eladio, if I were his therapist, would to be to set him up for success, right? So I'm going to be here. I am here for you. I'm going to support you. I'm going to help you, you know, get the skills and abilities that you can use um, to be successful even without me, right? I don't want it to seem like I'm just the, like, it's just me here who's going to cure or fix things that might be difficult because I, I can't do that, right? It's unreasonable. I'm not going to be able to deliver on that. Um, so I think kind of setting up realistic expectations and talking about the ways in which therapy and me as the therapist, myself as a therapist, how I can help and how therapy can help. And also like how we're going to best set Eladio up for that success. So, you know, I kind of, you know, I have mixed feelings about it. I think there were things that were helpful and good that she did. I think it's great that Eladio does feel heard and valued. I strive for that with the individuals I work with as well. I'm curious, what do you think about that scene, Dr. Fran? No, I think you're right, Dr. Sam. And I, I agree. I like the part where she's saying like, I'm right here. I think that's really powerful for him to hear that like he has some who's in his corner that's there to listen and is there to support him. I do agree that the way that she phrases that, like, 
I'm going to help it be okay, or I'm going to help mm-hmm. fix it does actually inadvertently feel, feed into this transference of him, her yeah. being like a mother figure, because she's going to like come in and swoop in and take care of him and make sure everything's okay. That doesn't do as much to try to empower him to be able to help himself. So I do agree that there are different ways that she could have showed support for him in that moment that mm-hmm. would have also empowered him rather than kind of set this, this transference relationship kind of like mother son. We do we, she does get a little bit bailed out at the end there of he says oh, yeah. like, Asked her very directly, like, can this be, like, family? And then because of his Jeremy, the client that he takes care of, he has to run off, and she doesn't get a chance to answer him. Yo, Jeremy! Jeremy! Jeremy, bro, you good? Sorry, we had a little bit of a... This this was good. Seriously. I'm gonna hit you next week, okay? Yeah. No problem. And I was like, that would be, like kind of nice to have a few minutes to think about like how would I respond to that in the moment because that's a really tricky question to try to answer it is really tricky and I'm very worried that Dr. Taylor would have been like yeah I'll be here for you you know like I hope that's not what would have happened um just because again that can be really difficult therapy is not going to be for forever and if you know and family uh can be more permanent for a lot of individuals potentially so I feel like you know kind of again setting up these expectations that might not be realistic that won't set Eladio best up for success so when we think about that scene Dr. Fran you're right it's a very challenging question um how do you think you would have or could handle that type of question like Eladio asking can this be like family I think in psychology we oftentimes don't answer the question directly if they're challenging like that my kind of first thought would be to say something like you know there are a lot of ways that our relationship might feel like family there's obviously a care and a level of support what we might call like unconditional positive regard is another kind of psychology term but we also use that to describe family relationships that I care about you and have those feelings towards you regardless of what you do in that situation and then I would say there's also a lot of ways that this is not the same as a family relationship. I can't always be there for you in the way that a very close friend or a family member can. Um, And our relationship is time limited. The goal is actually for us not to see each other forever. And in that way, our relationship will end, which is very different than any other kind of relationship that you might have in your life. I agree with a lot of that. And I think I also would even, you know, maybe push back a little bit on Eladio to get a better sense of what he means, you know. Mm -hmm. So when you say family, like, what does that mean to you? What aspects of that are important for you um, that, you know, you're seeing in the potential for this therapeutic relationship as well? Because I think that would give us a good sense of, you know, maybe some of the concerns or goals that Eladio has and kind of like also help with the expectations in terms of having that discussion and moving forward. But definitely very tough because you want him to feel like as the therapist, you are there, you are supportive, you do have his best interests in mind, you want to help him to reach his goals, and you don't want to set him up for expectations that might hurt him down the road, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we've already seen a few therapeutic ruptures here. He can very easily feel defensive or feel like Dr. Taylor's maybe about to abandon him. So she's put in a really tricky situation where she doesn't want to outright reject or seem like she's shutting him down when he's being very vulnerable and open in asking this to her. And at the same time, we've already seen that like there might be some boundary crossing and that this relationship could very easily continue down that road, you know, with him calling her after hours and, Mm -hmm. you know, the way that they talk to each other, that that boundary between therapist and friend or family member could get confused. And the reason Mm -hmm. we have relationships that are different than just friends or family is that a therapist is supposed to have a somewhat more objective approach versus your friends or family. And that gets really hard when those boundaries are like super crossed like that. 
Very true. And then I think, you know, when it's time to graduate or move on from therapy, that's already very difficult for people. There's a lot of mixed emotions involved in that. Um, And if it is kind of continuing down this path of more like friendship or family type feelings, I think that would just be exacerbated and be very difficult and not really set, you know, the person up for success once that does end. Yeah. And I think you bring up an interesting point, Dr. Sam, because we don't really know much about Eladio's goals other than we learn a little bit in this session that he has sleep problems. He has insomnia. And then we learn like some other things about his history. Um, So as we kind of wrap up talking about the therapeutic relationship and the boundaries, let's shift a little bit into what Eladio is even trying to get out of therapy. Like what would it mean for him to graduate or wrap up therapy with Dr. Taylor? Like what is he trying to accomplish? Great question. Um, In the session, Eladio kind of briefly mentions that the family he works with, I believe, is actually like paying and has kind of facilitated in him meeting with Dr. Taylor because he's having trouble sleeping, which may distract or detract from his work with Jeremy and also just kind of impacting his overall ability to function each day. Um, So he mentions that he has a lot of trouble sleeping. He'll kind of take naps during the day. He's feeling really tired. It's impairing his his ability to kind of function during the daytime. Um, And this first kind of gets brought up as well when he says he wants a referral to psychiatry. So he says, you know, he's not able to sleep. He wants assistance from medication. Um, The deep breathing is not working, which, you know, yes, deep breathing uh, can be recommended as a relaxation skill before bed, but it's definitely not the only treatment recommendation for sleep. So I'm not surprised. It's not a cure for insomnia (laughs) by itself. Not a cure. So I'm not surprised he hasn't seen any um, benefit. One of the things I do like that Dr. Taylor brings up is she kind of says, you know, um, this is going to take time. They've met for two sessions. Yeah, his sleep troubles are not going to be resolved because um, what we know with difficulties with sleep is that it's kind of like a habit or behavior that has formed um, and does take time to undo that for sure. So I agree with that. Um, She also gets a little bit, I was kind of, I thought it was interesting how she really served as like a gatekeeper between like Eladio and psychiatry here because when he asked for a psychiatrist, she kind of mentions like, I don't know enough to refer you to psychiatry yet Um, and medication isn't going to fix all your sleep troubles. I agree with those sentiments. Medication, you know, I think it is best to also try therapy to see if that helps and then see if medication is warranted. But I also think that making a referral to psychiatry to at least consult with a psychiatrist and then like kind of working with that psychiatrist in tandem is not horrible or doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be prescribed medication right away. So I found that to be a little interesting. Yeah, I think it was also tricky because it was in the context of this therapeutic rupture where she brought up the boundary of like only calling after hour or like during business hours and then... He was like, oh, I just want a referral to psychiatry. You know, I think I might just need a referral. You got to know a good psychiatrist, right? Sure. Well, why do you think you need a psychiatrist? This insomnia, the nightmares, the fucking... I haven't slept in six days, y'all. Six days? What about last night? Did you try the breathing in for four? Yeah, I tried it, okay? It worked until it didn't. Okay. We can try something else. So I feel like it was a little, she, she was put in a little bit of a tricky situation of like, okay, psychiatry could be an option. And like, that's obviously your right as a client to explore that option. And just because something's not going perfectly here doesn't mean this can't also help or that that's the best route to go down, like right off the bat. So I agree. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not our role as psychologists necessarily to like gatekeep or to, um, we will, I mean, oftentimes recommend yeah. that someone goes to psychiatry, but we also see people that have been to psychiatry first, or maybe yep. during treatment, they decide to go to psychiatry on their own and it has nothing to do with our recommendation. So even though we work a lot with psychiatry, it's not like you need our permission to go. 
Well, you may need medication, but after only two sessions, I don't feel I have an adequate picture. Meaning? In order to refer you to a psychiatrist, I need to know more. Yes, I agree with all of that. And I think also, interestingly, when she kind of says, like, I need more information to determine whether or not I'll refer a psychiatrist, she also, you know, like I said, I do agree when she says it takes time and they're going to have to work on the sleep piece. Definitely true. One of the things that I also kind of cringed at, though, and I'm curious what you thought, Dr. Fran, is she actually says at one point, like, this is not a results-oriented practice. And he becomes alarmed by that, too. He's like, well, I kind of do want results. Like, I want to be able to sleep, right? Which uh, is very understandable. This isn't a results-oriented practice. Wait, is that true? Because I'm pretty sure motherfuckers go to therapists all the time seeking results. Oh, my husband died, so now I'm too sad to work the forklift. Um, And I think this goes to what we're talking about. We're a little bit more used to, like, setting goals, working towards those goals. It doesn't mean we can't talk about other things or other things won't come up. But I do think that there is some benefit in having a goal and tracking progress, especially when your client has insomnia, which, like, you know, we can track that progress. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I was also a little surprised by that comment of it not being a results-oriented practice. And I think what she was trying to say, again, is like the the piece about the length of time that it might take and that, you know, it's not like you're just going to take a pill or have a therapy yeah. session and all your problems are going to be solved. I feel like that's what she was getting at there. But it kind of came off as like, we're not going to meet your goals. We don't have any kind of direction that we're going in or things that we're trying to yeah. do. We're just going to kind of talk. And there are different therapeutic styles. There are some that may not yeah. be as direct and goal oriented and like assigning skills and homework and all those types of things. And that's okay. But in the end, the goal is still to have some type of positive result in the client's life, whether it's developing insight or changing behavior or improving distress, like whatever the situation might be, I would guess that every therapist still wants there to be a positive result. Yeah, I would think so as well. (laughs) One of the other things we really learn about Eladio that he discloses in his conversation with Dr. Taylor is that he has been diagnosed with bipolar in the past um, and that he has been followed um, assumingly by a psychiatrist or another uh, medical provider that can prescribe lithium. And he, he says he's kind of been on and off lithium um, when he can afford it, which unfortunately is a problem that we do see with individuals who need to, you know, be followed by specialists or take medications, that that can really be dictated by whether or not they can afford it. When I was in college, I was diagnosed bipolar 1. And so I've been on and off lithium ever since. And whenever I can afford it, I get it. And when I can't, I don't. I know you're supposed to titrate, but I don't have that luxury. You want to call it drug-seeking behavior? Fine. Without the lithium, it's the only way I ever get any sleep at all. Dr. Taylor asks a little bit more information, you know, about this diagnosis, really kind of just honing in on the sleep piece. So we don't really learn a lot more about other potential symptoms or things that a lot of you are experiencing that would be in line with a, a diagnosis of bipolar and Dr. Taylor does mention like you know she needs to learn a little bit more before she's able to kind of weigh in on that as well. So so far with Eladio we know or we hear that he has the diagnosis of insomnia potentially and a diagnosis of bipolar. Um, So I'm curious maybe starting with the insomnia diagnosis we might not be able to have too many impressions because again we don't have as much information but what do you think about those diagnoses and kind of like how those are like so far set up in this uh, episode? 
I think like you've already mentioned, Dr. Sam, like we always say we want like a lot more history and a lot more information. I think for the fact that this is an entire therapy session and we're yeah. left with so little information diagnostically is is difficult. And again, we don't see the first session. Maybe she did an hour and a half intake where she got a lot of information, but it kind of doesn't seem like it because she's asking some of these questions that we thought we might have think that she would have gotten the very first time that she met with him. Yeah. So it is really tricky to nail down any diagnoses for Eladio. I would say like insomnia seems more, we have enough, a little bit more information and insomnia is usually a little bit clearer to be able to diagnose versus bipolar disorder potentially. So there definitely seems to be that like dissatisfaction with his sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, and do we get a sense of whether it's falling asleep or maintaining sleep? He kind of makes it seem like it's initiating sleep or falling asleep, um, but it, it also seems like his sleep is very interrupted. He kind of says like he's really just kind of napping throughout the day. Um, so we don't have like a lot of clarity, but potentially both. And then it definitely seems to be causing distress and mm-hmm. his employers are noticing it. So I would yeah. say that's like interfering with some work functioning. Mm-hmm. Um, the other piece of insomnia that you're typically looking for is at least three nights a week and for three months. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we have enough information to really know how, how long standing it's been going on for. He mentions that he hadn't slept for the past six nights. So if we kind of are going off okay. of that, that shows a lot of disturbance, at least within a week kind of context, right? That's true. Um, and then when Dr. Taylor does ask him about bipolar disorder, inadvertently, he actually just starts talking about the sleep troubles he had. And he said that the sleep troubles he had started in college and then that there were a couple mm-hmm. other episodes where he was having difficulty to sleep. So we can potentially assume that it has, you know, he has a history of it at least, so it might be reoccurring and that it might might have been already occurring for the past three months. Again, not as much information as we would like for like a whole session where they're really talking about insomnia, but it does seem to be the main um, goal or concern that Eladio has. That's really what, at least right now, we get the sense that he's come to talk to Dr. Taylor about because he wants to improve his sleep. And we definitely learn a little bit about the bipolar, but not nearly enough, which Dr. Taylor mentions, like she can't diagnose or confirm the diagnosis based off the little information she gets from this session. If you're wanting to hear more about bipolar, I would direct you to our Silver Linings Playbook episode where we really get into that diagnosis. But I am curious as our sleep expert, Dr. Sam, um, how we handle if a client might have bipolar or maybe something else like nightmares that are keeping them up. Can you still diagnose insomnia? Can someone have both? That is a really good question. Um, I do think that it depends kind of on the context. So I believe Dr. Taylor does mention this, but one of or something that we can see in bipolar disorder that occurs are difficulties with sleep. Um, So I do think that you can have both. It's kind of just like, you know, I think it kind of can look different ways for different people. So for Eladio, and again, we don't know if he has bipolar necessarily yet, or we don't have enough information to determine that. Um, But if he has been having like consistent difficulties with his sleep for three months, and maybe it's not due to other mental health concerns or illness, I think that it would be safe to say that, you know, he has insomnia. Um, I will say also, I know you just mentioned our episode, our session on Silver Linings Playbook. We do dive a little bit more into insomnia and the treatment um, and its related treatment in our Fight Club episode. Um, which again we see with um, in the character in Fight Club he does also have co-occurring mental health uh, concerns along with his insomnia so you know oftentimes with diagnoses like that they can co-occur it's just important to kind of get different details related to timeline what other symptoms are occurring if things are related or maybe causal as opposed to like if they are two kind of standalone diagnoses another thing would be like if the sleep is you know kind of um if the sleep difficulties or the insomnia are causing impairment beyond what we might expect just with like the sleep concerns related to bipolar disorder and other mental health conditions as well. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so we see in this session, maybe we're lacking a little bit of direct focus on the insomnia. There's maybe a lot of information gathering, a lot of focus on the therapeutic relationship. But I think Dr. Sam in particular, as our sleep expert, was wanting a little bit more focus on what might treatment really look like for insomnia. So Dr. Sam, if Ladio was your client, what things might you do with him? Yes. So again, definitely check out the Fight Club episode because we do discuss one of the treatments. But we do have a treatment that has been shown to be, you know, very effective for people with insomnia, especially adults. Um, and that is called cognitive behavior cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia and this would really be the treatment or you know kind of really pulling components from this treatment to help treat with insomnia um and so some of the suggestions that dr taylor could potentially make and i know this is the second session um, but some things that we might expect to see if they were working on cbt for insomnia would be starting to work on the associations or like the the kind of associations that eladio might have related to his bed or bedroom related to sleep so if sleep you know, becomes this really negative thing and you know, like, well, I'm going to get in bed and I'm not going to be able to fall asleep and my bedroom, you know, it's just a place where I can't fall asleep and you start having these negative associations. It's really starting to kind of shift those towards more positive associations with good quality sleep, only using the bed for sleep. So, you know, we see a little bit of his bedroom. So hopefully, you know, he's not doing the therapy session in the bed, which is good. And we would really suggest and recommend a lot of you only use the bed for sleep time. One of the pieces that we would also see is relaxation. So we can and we do teach relaxation relaxation skills to help with people falling asleep um, or to kind of help soothe them so that they can fall asleep. I think that's where we see Dr. Taylor kind of attempting this with teaching the the deep breathing and recommending that. We just don't see that paired with any of the other kind of things we would implement and not really done in a very thorough manner, at least from what we can see. Yeah, it's kind of like thrown in there, like we said, it's almost like an afterthought. And then it's not really come back to it all. Oftentimes, we would have clients like practice this maybe in session, or even set up like a timeline of like, we're going to practice like practice three or four times a week until this becomes a habit, right? When you're learning something completely new, you can't just like, throw it in and, and hope that it works, but having a lot more structure around that practice. Very true. And another thing we can see that she can suggest kind of even early on in treatment is what we call sleep restriction. So along the lines with only getting in bed when we're trying to fall asleep, the other thing would be restricting time in bed. So let's say like Eladio is typically getting in bed at like 9 p.m. because he has to wake up for work early, but he's not getting or falling asleep until like 1 a.m. So that's hours of time where he's in the bed having negative thoughts, you know, about sleep and trying to fall asleep um, that are not really effective. So then we kind of might shift it like, okay, well, we're not going to get in bed until 1am. And really just kind of starting to restrict the time that you're in bed closer to the time that you're usually seeing that you're falling asleep or the sleep onset time. Um, So that again, it's kind of helping to reduce those negative thoughts, the negative associations with the bed, really only getting into the bed when we're getting ready for sleep. And really all this is kind of just trying to reset those sleep patterns and help and sleep behaviors um, that Eladio has been experiencing. And that's something that they could have talked about, right? She could have gotten a sense for like, when are you getting into bed? When are you actually falling asleep? Like, okay, let's kind of only use the bed for bedtime Let's or sleep time. Let's get into bed at this time. But we really didn't hear much of that kind of talk. And again, maybe that's not as interesting for TV. Well, and that's a results-oriented approach, Dr. Sam. Yeah. So we're not, we're not doing that in therapy, remember? We're not going there. That's not the goal potentially here. Well, and you never know. This is only episode one. So you never know. Maybe the next few sessions with Eladio, they're doing cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. Fingers crossed. I'm saying this facetiously because we know that's not what's going to happen. (laughs) That's not what the masses want. The masses don't want to see CBT for insomnia on HBO. (laughs) No, probably not. 
But speaking of the rest of the season, so again, we're not going to cover it here today. And I actually have only watched this first episode. Dr. Sam has peaked a little bit at a few of the future episodes. Um, We see a little bit of a hint into Dr. Taylor's personal life, but that becomes a much larger focus of the show in general. And so that is an important piece that will come up of not just thinking about the clients presenting concerns and what's going on with them. We get the hint that Dr. Taylor might be going to see her own therapist. We see that Mm -hmm. she gets an email about scheduling. She might be maybe avoiding that email. So there's something Mm -hmm. going on. Very interesting. And that becomes, (laughs) yeah, and that becomes a piece, a big component, it sounds like, of the TV show moving forward. So it's not just about her seeing her own clients and how she works with them, but also potentially her own work that she's doing on herself with her therapist. Yes, which honestly is not atypical. Some therapists have their own therapist, you know, to kind of talk through things and to help with um, self-care and, you know, just uh, their own thoughts and feelings. So, you know, kudos to her. I'm very curious as to why she's avoiding her therapist. And as a therapist, what would she say about avoidance? (laughs) But anyway, you know, maybe those are things that we can cover in a future session. As we kind of wrap up related to Dr. Taylor and just like the therapy portrayal on the show, I do want to say that the the show creators for in treatment they did come out and say that they worked with a consultant you know related to dr taylor and give and the portrayal of therapy that they worked with a consultant related to that and that they you know they really liked that in the portrayal of dr taylor that she brings quote unquote herself into the room with her patients um and that dr taylor really believes that offering her own life experience and her feelings in a session actually creates more honesty with her patients and ability for them to become more vulnerable and open with her um and i just thought it was interesting that the Uh, you know, creators of the show kind of have this perspective in this direction. You know, we're talking a lot about like the self-disclosure and the boundaries and of things that can be actually kind of murky or, you know, some people might have differing opinions on that, but it seems like this was done in a very direct way. And if you think about it in terms of a TV show, that kind of makes sense, right? Like watching a TV show about therapy, people probably don't want it to be kind of like one-sided, only hearing about the character that's there for therapy, seeing kind of like, you know, really uh, accurately portrayed therapy. It's more about the character development. And I think that's why the show is giving us a little bit more about Dr. Taylor. Um, And in some ways, that's why it might not ring quite as true to us. Yeah. And I was actually just thinking it might be a really interesting show, actually, if she was, you know, very professional, very like tight lipped in her therapy sessions. And then we see her outside the therapy context Mm -hmm. and she's very open and like, you know, like we learn all these things about her. That's kind of like, at least for us, like what therapy really is like, is that my clients don't know that much about me. Like sometimes things might come up, maybe they Facebook stalk me, I don't know. But <laughs> that really like, we don't often share that much of ourselves in the therapy session, unless it's in the service of helping clients. And yeah. so you do often potentially see maybe that juxtaposition between how someone is behaving in that therapeutic space and how someone might be in their normal everyday life. Very true. And, you know, a lot of therapists work to not bring themselves into the room, right? Which, like, they're saying that was, like, the direct approach of how they wanted Dr. Taylor to be presented. Um, So that is very interesting. I think, you know, Dr. Fran and I both find it, like, pretty cool and we're like curious about like yeah a tv show that really is just th- showing therapy and what people really think and make of that um and also you know we think that that's that's great for the field and as long as it's not too horrible of a portrayal and that it's like scaring people away like we've talked about before or being super inaccurate mm-hmm. i mean it does have the potential for like making people feel like maybe it's a little friendlier than it is but when they actually go to see a therapist, those expectations and, you know, you would hope that discussion would be had anyway. So we can't speak to the whole series, but at least in this episode, there's nothing like too horrible that we think is doing like a disservice to the field. And honestly, what profession isn't 
mistaken a little bit, right? Like when it is shown on TV. Obviously, there are higher stakes when it's related to like healthcare or psychology, like we often talk about. Um, but I am curious to see how the show goes and how it's continued to be like received. Um, it does seem like it's doing well, so people seem to be interested in it. And although there may not be any egregious errors that we see, we did still find some PH don'ts. This is not a safe place. Sorry, are you, are you gonna like keep touching me like that? That guy is a total loon. But I cannot talk about my clients. I cannot talk about my clients. Oh, that's it. Great, great job. Thank you. Don't have late night phone chats with your patients. Don't set confusing and inconsistent expectations related to boundaries in therapy. Don't come across as judgmental during therapy. And honey, don't call your patients by pet names. <laughs> All right, Dr. Fran. Session is almost up for in treatment. So what did you think overall of this episode one featuring Eladio? I thought it was very interesting. I was very engaged because it was just like so foreign. Again, like we <laughs> usually see like a few minutes here, a few minutes there. But just the fact of like watching a popularized media portrayal of an entire therapy session I thought it was really, it was, it was entertaining. I want to watch the rest of the show. There were definitely a few parts where as a therapist, I was like, Ooh, I wouldn't have done that. Or I don't know where <laughs> this is going. This is like getting into uncharted territory. But, um, I do think so from what we've seen so far, the acting is very good. And I'm excited to see these two actors in these roles. What about you, Dr. Sam? I agree that I'm intrigued, you know, watching the first episode, and you've mentioned I've seen a couple other episodes, I am intrigued by it and seeing like other things. Um, you know, you kind of alluded to I had a little bit of a sneak peek on other episodes, which I think is why I was a little harsh, because I do see like a pattern of Dr. Taylor having interesting dynamics with her clients and patients. Um, you know, there were things I, I can be harsh. I know that. And I feel like especially probably because of the podcast I was watching and I was often like, oh, no, like, you know, just like discouraged or getting upset by the things that she did. And then trying to take a step back and seeing some of the things that might be more accurate or more positive um you know so I am intrigued I will watch more I'm a big fan of you know the actress that plays Dr. Taylor and I'm a big fan of Anthony Ramos or Eladio's uh character so I I will want to watch more I just hope if I continue to be too harsh I might stop who knows <laughs> Dr. Sam you're harsh I don't I don't think I've realized that yet I'm not, like, harsh. I'm just critical of certain portrayals. <laughs> well, let's see what your DSM-5 diagnosing shows and movies rating is going to be then. I think this one's tricky because, you know, Dr. Fran, you and I actually talked about this. It's not my style necessarily, but it doesn't mean it's wrong, I will say. You know, yes, my style would be to be a little more um, goal-directive, a little more, like, structured, um, a little bit more CBT-focused, especially for the sleep. Um, so in that way, I don't think that the therapy was necessarily inaccurate, like, just kind of, especially early on, just talking, getting to know Eladio better. There was nothing necessarily wrong with that. I am concerned, though, about the boundary issues that we've discussed. Um, I'm also kind of like, you know, I am concerned just generally. Again, this is a stylistic thing, not necessarily anything that was like, quote unquote, wrong. But I do feel like some of the language was kind of judgmental and accusatory that kind of made Eladio get a little bit defensive. Um, but he does seem to have a positive rapport with her. He wants to come back. I think I would give it a... Ugh, it's always hard when I can't do the point fives. So I will say just based on this session alone, like isolating things I know about other sessions as well, based on this session, 
I think I will give it a three because it was accurate kind of showing the telehealth aspect. It was accurate kind of just showing the establishing the rapport, but I didn't like the boundary issues and the judgmental language and the lack of structure. What about you, Dr. Fran? I feel like you're bumping it up to a three, even though you want to give it a two because you're trying to prove you're not a harsh raider. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. If it was the point fives, I would have gone a little lower probably. Yes. Not higher. Yeah. <laughs> I am struggling with this one as well because, again, like Dr. Sam is mentioning, this may actually be accurate. This You could probably find a therapist out there that would interact yeah. very similarly to Eladio as Dr. Taylor does. And so I do think it's a somewhat accurate. I think the telehealth aspect was really cool that they brought mm-hmm. that in, and that was pretty accurate. So I was leaning towards either a three or a four. And if I had to, I would play devil's advocate and I think round up to a four. And I actually have not been influenced yet by the future episode. So I do think that will impact that once I start watching more, it sounds like there are more issues, like potentially ethical issues that come up. I don't think she's technically violated any ethical boundaries or any ethical standards at this point. So Mm -hmm. I would say if you found a therapist, it could look like this. So I would give it a four. And that's what I was saying. I don't think it's inaccurate, right? It's more of a stylistic thing, I think, for me. So that, like, there wasn't anything, like, quote-unquote wrong or, you know, like some of the stuff we've discussed. More style differences, for sure. And for me, the sleep piece, I do think, like, you know, I am a proponent of evidence-based treatments. And we have one for insomnia, you know, so we'll see. (laughs) So why not use it? Yeah. All right. Well, we've been really excited to share this episode with you. Check back. We may cover another episode in the future. If you've been watching In Treatment and have a favorite one that you've seen so far and want us to cover it, let us know. Go ahead and check out our social media for our Freudian Scriptures Spotlight. And don't forget to leave us a review for a free sticker. And as always, please don't forget to check out our website, freudianscripts.com. We have new resources and a glossary of new terms up there for you related to this session. And we would love to hear your thoughts. So whether it's on in-treatment or any other questions you might have about psychology, um, what movies or TV shows you want us to put on the couch and break down next. And please subscribe, rate, and review. You can also find and follow us on social media at Freud Scripts Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are not on TikTok yet. Maybe one day. <laughs> Our bitmojis on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Time's up. See you next session. That's our time for today. We'd like to thank our producer, Brandon. Creative director, Eric. Webmaster Don. How did she end her session? Oh, abruptly. <laughs> this this was good. Seriously. I'm going to hit you next week, okay? Yeah. No problem. <laughs>